0: And I will ask the Lord's blessing once again upon us. Father, we praise Thee because Thou art good. Thou dost never fail. Thou dost never confuse Thy words. Thou dost never fail at bringing Thy words. but human preachers do father we are weak and feeble and limited instruments we can do nothing without thee and I acknowledge before thee the great limitations and the many failures of this work that thou hast given me to do father I do pray that thou wilt give me a renewed strength, a greater understanding. Father, help me to comfort those who need comfort. And help me to thunder the hypocrite out of their darkness. Father, I cannot do that. It must be thy spirit. Help me to be more discerning. Help me to be more distinguishing. And Father, I pray that thou wouldst help thy congregation to hear. Now, please, fall upon us by the power of thy glorious Spirit. Send as we sing. Send the Holy Spirit. Revive thy work, O Lord. Send Pentecostal showers. This is thy temple, Lord Jesus. Build it today. Come to thy living stones and fill them. Fill them. And may this be thy holy temple, offering thy praise, hearing thy word, loving thee as thou dost speak to us. Help this vessel to handle thy word in a way that I can give account to thee in that day. Save the lost, both those who know they're lost and those who do not realize it. And Father, I pray that love for thee would be kindled in the hearts of all thy people. Whether we need reproof or whether we need our hands held or whether we need Thee to take us by the shoulders and stand us up, or whether we are on the mountaintop with Thee in the glory and beauty of Thy presence. May we all hear from Thee today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. We are, in, <clears throat> we are in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4 again. <laughs> Please put your watch in your pocket. And let's stand together as we hear God's word, and then I will preach, God willing. Acts chapter 6, this is God's word. You can forget all my words. You must hear, understand, and walk in these words. Amen. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, "'It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables.'" Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, this is in contrast to those who are going to take care of the problem, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Jesus Christ came into this world to preach. He commissioned his apostles to preach, and he appoints the elders of churches down through the history of his congregation congregations to preach such elders pastors shepherds must be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word now our sermon then is entitled devoted to prayer and the word this is part five and we will finish today so that there will be no part six May our loving Heavenly Father fill us. May our loving Heavenly Father fill us with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we might walk worthy of the Lord Jesus unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might by his spirit, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. May it be so in the name of Christ. In very brief review, we've considered our first head Christ, Christ's Apostles understood the heart of their ministry. We've done an exposition of verses 1 through 4. No need to revisit that at this point. For those of you that have not been with us, you can go back to part 1. We would be glad to supply those to you and you can work your way through them. But the Lord Jesus had commissioned the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as we read the book of Acts, we see those apostles wonderfully and obediently doing exactly what Christ called them to do. That's why they said, we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the preaching of God's word. Likewise, they were to teach whatsoever things Christ had commanded them. Now, understanding the weight and importance of Christ's commission. The apostles concluded. We will. Give ourselves continually. To prayer. And to the ministry of the word. And to give themselves continually. Means to be devoted to it. It's not something they do in their part-time. It's not something they do in their pastime. It's not something <coughs> that they do just when they feel like they're in trouble. It's not something that is uh, uh, something you could just take up anytime. This is full-time. And we see them being faithful to that. That's why we're here. That generation of men understood what they were given to do. And they gave themselves to it with their whole heart. And it cost many of them their lives. These men were to teach. Whatsoever things Christ had commanded them. And they did. And churches were established. Everywhere. In the midst of paganism. We don't get that, but I guarantee you, if you just keep watching, you're going to see it full-blown right here in this country. It's all over the place right now. You're surrounded by it. But If you haven't picked up on that, it's not going to be long before it is staring you in the face. There are only two religions, gods and satans. That's it. And where there's the lack in God's people's faithfulness, the enemy always comes in and fills the gap. So this is why they gave themselves full time to prayer and to the word. They were in raw paganism, preaching with statues of idols all around them, statues of sexual action going on all around them. And God saved some sinners. That's what happened. Churches were established. Colonies of life started sprouting up. In in a culture of death. Colonies of light started springing up. Where people sat in darkness. The preaching of the word. And number two. Shepherds then after God's heart are devoted to prayer without prayer the pastor the under shepherd can do nothing in his God-appointed ministry as God intends now that led us to number three shepherds after God's heart are devoted to preaching God's word not throwing something together on Saturday night in 30 minutes I mean among pastors that's known as the Saturday night special Not fitting of God's men. God spoke all things into existence. He is a God that speaks. And then he began speaking to men. He spoke to Adam. To the patriarchs. And to Israel. Through Moses and the prophets. Until John the Baptist. He then spoke through Christ. The apostles. And God preserved his words in the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. Christ, the apostles, came in to this world and started doing damage to Satan's kingdom. The strong man was bound when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, rose again and ascended into glory. And all of these things are kept for us in this precious book. I pray that all of us have a heart to have Bibles that have our eye prints on them. In his astounding grace, God gave the entire canon of 66 books to Christ's churches. We have his treasure. And not all of his people across the world have it. Brethren, don't ignore God's beautiful words. In my mother's church as I grew up, a song they sang all the time was, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. That is what they are. Regardless of what we may think of the song itself, the sentiment Is a true believer sentiment. The elders of Christ's congregations. Must preach God's words. To God's people. In the power of God's spirit. That is the way Jesus. Saves the lost. Builds his churches. Sanctifies his churches. And advances his kingdom. There isn't any other way. It's by the living and powerful word of God. So what is preaching? We've considered this. I run through it quickly. We have learned that it's not an easy question to answer. And like prayer, biblical preaching is a supernatural act. True prayer arises from the work of the holy spirit in the hearts of the regenerate you can be in virtually any of the religions on the face of this planet and and do something that's called prayer and in their minds it is prayer they're talking to their gods they're talking to the force they're talking to something that's above them but they're not talking to the god of scripture True prayer is supernatural. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And like prayer, uh, attempting to define preaching is very challenging and it's complex. But it's a delightful and it's a heavenly subject at the same time. It's God talking to us. That's the simplest thing I can say. Prayer is our talking to God, and preaching is God's talking to us. There's a holy dialogue. There is a connection between the glory and the beauty of heaven and the filthy world that resists our God. Something is going on in the darkness that connects us, and it's prayer on our side, preaching from his side. We get God's word. He speaks. I've said this before, but I don't mind repeating it. If we had one of these big signs like many congregations have, they're regularly even putting, uh, they are regularly putting uh, clever sayings up there. Or they're saying, speaking this week. And somebody, some quote, <clears throat> special preacher is coming wouldn't it be great if every church with a sign had it up and says and, and says to all at all times God speaks here that's it that's the only guest we need that's right. yeah. God speaks here Well, he's speaking here this morning, and it's not this vessel. That I can assure you. John R. DeWitt, as we have seen, says, Preaching is the exposition or the systematic explanation and application of the Word of God. That's another simple way to put it. David Martin Lloyd-Jones defined it as logic on fire. It is theology on fire. Preaching Is theology coming through a man who is on fire. The Puritan William Ames put it this way, quote, Preaching is the ordinance of God, sanctified, set apart by God, for the begetting of faith. It is a creative power for the opening of the understanding, for the drawing of the will and affections to Christ. Close quote. We could go on. It's wonderful to read how men grapple with this supernatural act and try to put it in words that we can get. But we all know this <clears throat> God speaks to his people, he speaks through weak and flimsy vessels who bring them this. <clears throat> now, that brings us to where we left off. <clears throat> Four Greek words help us understand preaching. Now, I don't usually go into the Greek and the Hebrew for for many reasons. Some people glaze over the minute a pastor says that. I'm no expert in Greek. But I'm bringing you these four words so that you will understand that what we're calling preaching is expressed in the word of God several ways. Number one, the first word is "Caruso." <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. <clears throat> That Greek word, keruso, underlies the English preaching in that place, those two places. Throughout the Gospels and Acts <clears throat> and the Apostolic Letters, what it means is proclaim. It is a proclamation <clears throat> to proclaim something. <clears throat> Means to make an official pronouncement. In other words. It's an authoritative word. It is an authoritative word. We are proclaiming something. We are like heralds. And we are standing and saying. This is the word of God. This is God's truth. We're proclaiming. The second word is. Euangelizio. Luke says of Jesus, he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. The words showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God are the Greek word, euangelizo. It's the word we get evangelism from, evangelical. And again, it means to proclaim, but here it means specifically to proclaim the good news. Jesus went about proclaiming, declaring the wonderful kingdom of God. The third word is martureo, and this is all on your outline, by the way. I knew that some of you would be furiously scribbling don't want you to miss too much and so I put some of those there on the outline for you the apostle John says the same came for a witness speaking of John the Baptist to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe and you see there's an end To that kind of bearing witness. What is it? That men might repent of their sins. And believe that Jesus Christ is the God man. They might believe that he was crucified. That he was resurrected from the dead. That he is reigning in glory. It's a proclamation. But it is a bearing witness Of it, the word itself in in, in Greek means to confirm something on the basis of personal knowledge. That's what the apostles were doing. We see it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, there were above 500 witnesses. He said, we saw it, they saw it. So they would bear witness of what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the English bear witness is an important idea Martureo is the word from which we get martyrs all those that were martyred were bearing witness of Christ and losing their lives for it the fourth word is Didasco. finally <clears throat> jesus commanded his disciples to each uh, to teach all nations In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, teaching them to observe all things. Now, the word teaching there is didasco. That means to provide instruction in a formal or an informal setting, providing instruction in a formal or an informal setting. Now, Jonathan Griffiths says in his very helpful book, Preaching in the New Testament, that when we consider those four words, and even more, when we consider the the wide range of Greek vocabulary that signifies preaching, we can say this about it. It's the public authoritative declaration of God's word by a commissioned leader. It is the public authoritative declaration of God's word by commissioned leader. That's who we'd find preaching. It is true. Stephen the deacon was full of the Holy Spirit and preached. And it cost him his life. But he was was one chosen and he was one who had hands laid upon him and he was an official servant of the Lord Jesus in the church at Jerusalem. We have a deacon that preaches, of which we're thankful. So the idea here is that it's a public, not something done in private. It is an authoritative declaration, a proclamation of God's word by a commissioned leader. Now, there are four characteristics that help us define New Testament preaching. Those words altogether give us a beautiful picture. And I do trust that the notion is sinking in just a little bit. Griffiths gives four characteristics of New Testament preaching. One, a proclamation of God's word. And especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. Often in 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 the book of Acts and in the uh, apostolic letters, when we hear the word of God, our minds immediately go 66 books. But often it means the gospel because it was and is the word of God. That is a specific word of God, a proclamation. Number two. It is carried out by recognized leaders with a commission to preach. Number three, it is an authoritative proclamation. They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it because they were sent by God. And that means don't change the message. Don't fudge. Preach what Jesus said to preach and do it for the glory of God at your own cost. For the well-being of others. That's loving them by the way. Whoever loves you best. Will tell you the truth. Even if it costs. Your friendship. Amen. Number four. It's carried out in a public context. So. <clears throat> There it is. We see these things. The words bring us to these conclusions. We see them in their context and we begin to understand. Okay, this thing preaching isn't just me saying something of a moral nature to you. It is bringing you God's word because I must. It's the same thing with any preacher anywhere that God has put in a pulpit. We're talking pastors right now, under shepherds, elders, bishops. Now, <clears throat> after looking at these words and after looking at these I- ideals, these characteristics, then Griffiths summarizes his biblical and theological conclusions. He makes a whole whole Bible study of these things. It's very helpful. At the end of the book, this is his summary. Again, he says, one, preaching is the proclamation, proclamation of the word of God. And he says, the New Testament makes it clear that preachers act as God's heralds to proclaim his word on his behalf. Not theirs. I don't want to preach, because I just kind of like that. I'd like to try give my hand at it. Stay out of the public, uh, out of the pulpit. Stay out of the public, too. <laughs> men are called to do this. And God willing, next week, we'll begin looking at the characteristics, the qualifications, finally, of how we recognize men that are supposed to do this. So he goes on to say when authentic faithful Christian preaching of the biblical word takes place, that preaching constitutes a true proclamation of the word of God that enables God's own voice to be heard. That's what preaching should be. It's not Christian entertainment. It is God speaking to people that he loved before the foundation of the world. He loves his people. So he talks to them. He instructs them. He reproves them. He encourages them. He builds them up in the faith. He does it all. You can't pick and choose. So, it's the true proclamation of God's own voice. As a matter of fact, J.I. Packer, uh, I I think he may have gotten this from one of the early church theologians, I'm not sure, but he did an entire uh, article on the fact that preachers are the mouthpiece of God. That's exactly right. They're connected to the prophets in that sense. They're the mouthpiece of God. They're not God. Don't ever confuse that. I don't think this is going to happen here. But it's the point is God's appointed men to speak on his behalf. It's to come from this book. So uh, the second like uh, uh, Characteristic, he says, uh, the second thing that he says about it as he concludes is that Christian preaching stands in the line of continuity with the preaching of Jesus and the apostles. Jesus said, teach them what I taught you. There it is. You don't make it up as you go. Jesus has spoken God has given it to us. He's given us everything that's necessary. He's given us what's sufficient. John tells us what Jesus said and did so many other things, it'd fill up the whole world with books. But he's given us what's sufficient for every child of God to walk with him. All right. So, preaching stands in the line of continuity with the uh, uh, thirdly, The line of continuity with the Old Testament prophetic tradition. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord would come and he would call prophets to himself. You will see Isaiah. You'll see Ezekiel. You will see how God called them with visions and those kinds of things. We don't see that today for elders and pastors, but they're called nonetheless by by being qualified According to what God has spoken. But what the the prophets of the Old Testament did is very, listen to the word, similar. Not identical. But it's similar to what the prophets were doing. God gave them his word. Here it is. We have it. Praise the Lord. We have the word of God. Mm. Well, The Puritans even called pastors prophets. We won't start that here in the name of confusion. But in the sense that God has given his mind to someone to bring, given his words to someone and they are to preach them. That's, the, that's exactly what the prophets were doing in the Old Testament theirs was direct revelation we don't have direct revelation but we have the author on board and we have the book in front of us here's what God says do we believe that? I mean do you really believe that God speaks in sermons? it, it should have an effect on us if we do As I said last week, it's astonishing. I said, if you just take one thing that you hear in the sermon, if you just take one thing and say, all right, this is what the Lord has said to me. And I'm going to think about it and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to see how I can live it. I want to obey it. So he has said this, this lands in my camp. I'm taking that home. God has spoken. I'm going to live this. It's not for us to sit down and say, "Oh, let's see, that was maybe a five and a half this morning." Oh, oh that was a seven today. It was, you know, a little better than last week. Just a, a oat shorter. All right. You're not here to judge God's word. It's here to judge you. Amen. It's here to judge me. In other words. <clears throat> The word of God brings judgment day to God's people all the time. To prepare us for that great day. So we want to get things in our life in order. Nobody does it perfectly. Beginning right here. No one does it perfectly. But by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can walk with him. And we can learn to walk more closely to him. He delights in our walking with him. You can't walk with him if you don't know what he says. If you don't know what he demands. Is that so? Well. uh, New Testament prophets. Now there were real prophets that had direct revelation. But pastors as they have been called prophets must be distinguished this way. Those that received direct revelation from God uh, spoke to their nation and they spoke God's word and called them to covenant faithfulness. Now, in that sense, a New Testament pastor does the same thing. You, if you're born of God's spirit, are a covenant person. You're in covenant with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. Every time we gather together for the Lord's Supper, we are renewing the blessed covenant in his blood. Yeah. We're covenanted people. And so one of the responsibilities of the pastor is to call us to our responsibility as believers. You're wearing the precious name of Jesus yeah. walking what he says. <clears throat> and you have to know what he says to do that right number four the nature of preaching uniquely reflects the nature of the gospel and fifth preaching is a divine and human activity that constitutes listen carefully an encounter with God now today did we did we think as we got up and prepared our hearts to come to worship we say I'm going to meet with God today I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to have an encounter with God. I'm going there to hear from God. Or are you just here to see your friends? Just, well, God, this is kind of like the community I'm in. So I kind of hang with these people. We all have some things in common. Well, the one thing we ought to have in common is Jesus Christ. That's it. If we don't have anything else in common as human beings, but we have Christ, we can talk. We can encourage one another. We can build one another up in the, in the most holy faith. We can reprove one another. It's a divine and human activity. Divine and human. And it constitutes an encounter with God. It's supernatural. I cannot make that happen. Number four, what then is the difference between preaching and teaching? The two are very similar. They often overlap. Both contain biblical and theological truth. Both. Preaching is a proclamation. Its primary purpose is to proclaim, (laughs) to declare, and to call and to exhort. That's what it does. Preaching is primarily done by one person to others, it moves only in one direction from the preacher to the people. Teaching, on the other hand, is primarily instruction and explanation. Now, once you start explaining in a sermon, you're moving into teaching and vice versa. There are times when you're teaching and you're explaining and you just can't help but fall into preaching. They are different slightly. There's more detail, generally speaking, generally speaking. If I get that word generally, (laughs) generally speaking. There's more detail in teaching than there is in preaching. But with the advent of expository preaching as the standard nowadays, explanation of things like "Mm -hmm," the Greek words, you know, falls into teaching and preaching. And and the the, the Puritans were absolute masters of this. You'll be reading and there's those glorifying, Christ glorifying exhortations. And then they'll explain to you. What these words mean and what these words, how it works into the context. And they'll tell you a little bit more and then they'll preach it. They'll proclaim it. They'll call you to respond. I will tell you this. True biblical uh, preaching, true biblical spirit fed, spirit worked preaching demands a response to God. You walk out of hearing a a sermon and you don't go home with anything. You need to ask yourself, why? Was I listening? Did I hear what God said? This is not a little thing. Every parent here knows this. I hit this idea all the time. But you look at your children and sometimes you take them by the, the face and you say, you listen to me right now. Now, which do you prefer? Hi, sweetheart. I hope you get this. Hmm? We like that. We don't like it when they go. Eh. All right. But why do parents do that? They want you to listen. God wants us listening. But not just listening, but responding to what we hear. And then living, like what he has called us to. So, <clears throat> explanation, which is goes along with teaching, usually means describing something in real detail and making something clear by interpreting its meaning. So, if I can put it this way, biblical preaching, as far as I understand it, and I could be wrong. As far as I understand it, it's kind of like a, a river. It flows back and forth between the proclamation and the details of the instruction. They both work together. They're both slightly different. They overlap, but both of them are vital for God's people. That's how churches are built. Well, five, number five, pastors, according to God's heart, must preach for the conversion of sinners and the sanctification of the saved. They must. That's the target. The lost and the saved. Pastors, according to God's heart, are to call the lost to Christ Jesus. Jesus declared, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, do you hear that? We like that rest part. (laughs) And I do. Mm -hmm. But he says, uh, at the same time, I'll put my yoke on you. That's That's like a beast of burden. You put the yoke on. And you're going to walk with him as the master. Are we thinking that? We like the rest part. But sometimes we're not resting in the yoke. Mm -hmm. This was the way that rabbis talked to their disciples, they would say, now take my yoke. That means you're yoking yourself to the man and his teaching. That's what Jesus is saying. They would have all understood it. We don't get it. It's a nice old phrase, but that's what it is. It's like I'm yoking myself to you. Now I'm listening. Teach me. Show me how to walk. I don't want to walk outside this yoke. Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he commands us to obey, why do we think it's heavy? Why do we think it's heavy? It's your flesh. It's your flesh. I don't want somebody telling me what to do and what not to do. I like my life the way it is. I've cleaned it up a little bit. No, it's not going to work. No. Yoke up and walk with Jesus. And as you find yourself falling out of love with the world and all of its trinkets, you begin to find out that life with him is wonderful in the yoke. Amen. <clears throat> well, we've got to move on in addition to that now that that call to come to jesus the call to come and and yoke up we have to preach come come to christ he's called you i don't like the word offer i understand that it can be used in a reasonably good way but jesus doesn't say would you like to have me He says, come, 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 yoke up, and let's go. Well, Jesus said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them is a legalist. No, he didn't say that. Uh, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Wait a minute. How did we go from? Iron commandments to a love story. I mean, there are people that preach even the word commandment. Just, oh, it's the sound of clanking chains and slavery. No, to be Jesus's slave is freedom. It is real freedom. It is wonderful freedom. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? That's a good question. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will just plead grace, 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 grace all day. If a man loves me, he'll obey me. Yeah. This, is, this is not legalism. It is the joy of the believer. It is the joy of the renewed heart to do what Jesus says. Hallelujah. It's because you love him. Come take up this cross. Oh, that's an instrument of death. Mm -hmm. Could we wait on that for a while? No, take it up. Because only those under the cross are my disciples. That's the life I walked in. That's the life you need to walk in. Dying to you. And as you do that, you begin to find out what real life is. It's not all the trinkets and trash of the world. It's learning to walk in the kingdom. Learning to walk with the one who loved you. Now, I want to mash the accelerator here just a little bit. <clears throat> I'll try not to speed. Jesus answered him, said, if a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our God will come and live with me. What? God will come and live with me. I don't want to live with me a lot. But God will. Because of his love, because of his grace, he'll move in. He'll be the visitor that you want to stay. (laughs) We don't say, okay, you know, I've had enough of you today, Jesus. Thanks a lot. Come back next week. I'm really busy. No, to know him. To have him on board. To have him loving you and encouraging you and building you up in the faith. Things that only come by study of the word and prayer and meditation. When you know those things, you want more. And you can say to your father, more! And he's happy to give it. He didn't go, I know I was with you last week. Let's forget that for a while. I'll come back. Never! Never! He loves his people. He loves to, he loves them and he loves to be with them. From the time that Adam fell in the garden, he was always pitching his camp with his people. Always. I'll live in a tent with them out in the wilderness. I'll live in a temple with them. Well, they're not obeying me. I'll rip that one down, but we'll build up another one. I'm going to be with them. God wants to be with his people. So he is (laughs) and he always will be. But you can identify his people. They love what he says. They love what he commands. And though they stumble, though they fall on their face, though they do things sometimes that makes them say, how can I be a Christian and think like this? How can I do this? He's right there to say, Look at the cross and see all of your sins finished. Look at my broken body and see how much I love you. Now let's get up. Let's try again. We'll keep going. We'll take the training wheels off in a while, right? He's gonna grow you and bring you through because He loves you. There will be times when He draws you close. And you don't want things to end, just like Peter on the Mount of Glorification. And then there are times when he says, whom I love, I chasten. And it's no fun while it's happening, but it bears the fruit of righteousness. Well, a preacher must preach. And he must preach Christ. And he must preach what Christ commanded us right it's his word now the the, the difficulty is that as I look at the congregation I look and see all of you here there's a very wide variety of Christian experience I wish I had been better over the years of distinguishing that but I hope that I will get much better and I hope you will hear it in what I have to say here but you see the thing is It's very difficult when you've got a completely different sea of people before you, SEA. Richard Baxter addressed this difficulty. He said of the public preaching of the word that it is a work that requireth greater skill and especially greater life and zeal than any of us can bring to it. That's exactly right. I say, amen. I mean, I always had a big engine. I like to run it really high. I want all of the valves humming. And I want to put it on cruise control and go as fast as it'll go. That's the way I like things. That's not the way the Lord works. He takes us a bit at a time and teaches us. I can't bring enough skill to this work. I can't do it. Just too many differences even in a congregation this size. And in our self-worshipping culture, we've all been stained by that. Everything's about me. But a work that it's a work that requireth greater skill and greater life and zeal than any of us can bring to it. That's exactly right. No matter how big my engine is and no matter how great it is, when it is cranked all the way to the top, we're pegging in the red as we're moving. It's not enough for this work. I can't do it. Neither can anybody else. You must be carried by Christ Jesus. Amen. So he goes on to say. Baxter says it is no small matter to stand up in the face of a congregation. <laughs> it is no small matter to stand up in the face of a congregation. And deliver a message of salvation or damnation. As from the living God in the name of our Redeemer. It's not a small thing. It is no easy matter he says. To speak so plain that the ignorant may understand it, and so seriously that the deadest hearts may feel us, and so convincingly that contradicting cavilers, a caviler is a person who makes petty or unnecessary objections all the time. <laughs> contradicting the Cavaliers, may be silenced. He said, I have enough for that. Neither do I. Neither does any elder. This is supernatural work. If you've got a bad temper, you need to be thinking, oh, maybe maybe I'm not being called. Because I can tell you it won't be long before that fuse is lit. If you've got a short fuse, you'll be going off a lot. Well, in light of that, in light of what Baxter has said, I want you to consider the spectrum that pastors must think about. By the way, children, the word spectrum means a wide range. So I want you to think about the wide range that sits in just about any congregation, unless there's one pastor and one church member. All right, that's a little easier to deal with. Once you get to two, it starts getting complex. All right. So the considering the spectrum that pastors must think about. Walk with me for a few minutes. Okay, you know. I want you. I want you to think. I always want you to think. Always. I don't want you just to (gasps) react. I do want you to think. And then reply to God okay first of all pastors must call the dead to life they must call the sinful to holiness they must preach Christ's strength to the weak his love to the loveless his refreshment to the weary his comfort to the afflicted His healing to the sin sick, His help to the struggling, His rebuke to the lazy, the negligent, and the worldly. He must preach law and grace. He must preach the goodness and severity of God. He must preach God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. He must answer the questions that God's people raise, but acknowledge His ignorance. And limitations. Pastors must smoke out the hypocrites. Build up the weak. Warn the confident. And protect the endangered. They must rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. And apply the living word of God. To every aspect of the believer's life. As they repent of their own failures. And their own limitations. Paul put it this way, for we are unto God, a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish to the one. We are the savor of death unto death and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things there? I mean, you could buy a T-shirt for all the elders, you know, that say who is sufficient for these things. Pastors, according to God's heart, must be as the children of Issachar, which were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. If you don't understand the day you're living in, you cannot effectively preach to God's people. And that means sometimes you have to get in some ugly and messy stuff. Such men and their preaching are vital not only to congregations, but to families within the congregations. Listen carefully to Baxter one more time. Listen, he, boy, he is wordy. But if you can stay with the words, he's worth the struggle. Quote, we must also have a special eye, pastors must have a special eye upon families to see that they be well ordered and the duties of each relation performed the life of religion, and the welfare of the glory of church and state, depending much on family, government, and duty. If we suffer the neglect of this, we undo all. What are we like? What are we like to do ourselves to the reforming of a congregation if all the work be cast on us Alone, And I will tell you what, that's in the heart of a lot of church members. The preacher does it all. Mm-mm, I'm not raising your children for you, but I'll tell you what God expects from you to bring up your children. That's vital. Okay. He goes on to say, and masters of family will let fall that necessary duty of their own by which they are bound to help us. Do You hear that? Every father in here, every husband in here is the pastor's helper. You should be governing your homes according to the word of God. If not, you are a rebel. Husbands, love your wives or you're a rebel. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands or you're a rebel. Was that clear? (laughs) I think those words were distinguishing. If any good be begun by the ministry in any soul of a family. Listen. If any good be begun by the ministry in any soul in a family. A careless, prayerless, worldly family is almost sure to stifle it. Or at least very much hinder it. Whereas, if you could but get the rulers of families to do their part and take up the work where you left it and help it on, what abundance of good might be done. That's an extraordinary paragraph. But you notice, what's obvious is participation and doing what Jesus says. Not what the pastor makes up, but doing what the pastor preaches from God's word. And then by loving your wife as Christ loves the church, by wives submitting themselves to their own husbands, by parents bringing their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they are working with the pastor in the glorious work of God. It's a body. And I'm not the head. Jesus is. Baxter finishes this by saying, I beseech you, therefore, do all that you can to promote this business. He's talking to preachers. As ever you desire the true reformation and welfare of your parishes. Focus on men being men. And doing what God says for a man as a son, as a husband, as a father. If not, you are not walking in the kingdom in obedience to the king. And I will say, I know some fathers here. I've said it before. I referred to it earlier and I say it again. I would love to have had a father like some of the fathers we have in this church. But some of you as husbands and fathers know you are not doing what Jesus commands. Don't you dare try to run behind grace. Grace. Oh, it's all grace. Yeah, it's all grace. And grace is the fuel in your engine To love Jesus back and obey him. I don't want to shoot too broadly. I don't want to shoot too narrowly. But I want all of us to realize. If you call yourself a Christian. You have a responsibility to know this book. That's why the Lord appoints elders. And calls you to read and study it. How do you know that your house is ordered. According to the word of God. If you're not reading the word of God. How do you know what to permit and what to forbid? It's not possible. I'm not saying this to scold anybody. I am telling you, I know what I grew up as. I know what I see and what I counsel men and women about for decades. Your family says we're Christians or not. How do we know we're Christians? We love Jesus. And as stumbling and weak as we are, we do everything we can to obey what he says in this word. Amen. Well, oh, okay. Well, as the fire hydrant keeps going, I'm going to go just a little further if you can bear it. I don't want to overburden. I don't want to drive the sheep too hard lest they perish. But let me take it to this above all other things pastors are to preach christ jesus christ the lord and savior jesus christ according to the word of god in the power of the spirit they must preach they must proclaim the sweetness the purity the altogether loveliness and desirability of christ I will tell you that is my greatest failure. I need a greater unction from the Lord because I want to set my Savior before the young people, the older people. I want them to see He's altogether desirable. And I do ask your forgiveness. That I have not been able to exalt him the way my soul longs to. My words fall so short. We must preach Christ as the one and only mediator between God and men. In a world of God's many and Lord's many. They must preach Christ as the creator of heaven and earth. In a world in the darkness of the satanic lie of evolution. They must preach Christ as the prophet, priest, and king. They are to preach Christ's prophesied, Christ's coming, Christ's virgin conception, Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension, Christ's second coming. They must preach Christ as the Lamb of God that takes away the, la- the, the sins of the world. And they must preach Him as the coming judge of every human being that has ever lived. And they must preach Him as the King in all His glory and beauty in the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever. As the ancient world said, all roads lead to Rome, so all scripture leads to Christ Spurgeon tells of a Welshman who told a young preacher, quote, this is the way to preach. From every little village in England, does not matter where it is, there is sure to be a road to London. Though there may be, may not be a road to certain other places, there is certain to be a road to London. Now, from every text in the Bible, There is a road to Jesus Christ and the way to preach it is just to say how can I get from this text to Jesus Christ and then go on preaching all the way along it. Close quote. John Bunyan showed us the importance of a biblical pastor in his book The Pilgrim's Progress. This is an interpreter's house and it's the first thing The first thing that Interpreter brings Christian to. John Bunyan's own pastor, John Gifford, was probably the model for the pastor in Interpreter's house. He loved his pastor. The scene opens this way. Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hang up against the wall. Grave here means dignified serious in appearance and this was the fashion of it it had eyes lifted up to heaven the best of books in his hand the law of truth was written upon his lips the world was behind his back it stood as if it pleaded with men and a crown of gold did hang over its head then said christian What meaneth this? What meaneth this? Interpreter says the man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can beget children. 1 Corinthians 4.15 Travail in birth with children. Galatians 4.19 And nurse them himself when they are born. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lift up to heaven the best of books in his hands and the law of truth writ on his lips, it is to show thee that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners. Even as also thou seest him stand as if he pleaded with men and whereas thou seest the world is cast behind him and that the crown hangs over his head, that is to show thee that slighting and despising the things that are present, for the love that he hath for his master's service, he is sure in the world that comes next to have glory for his reward. Now, said the interpreter, I've showed thee this picture first, because the man whose picture this is is the only man whom the Lord of the place, whither thou art going, hath authorized to be thy guide in all difficult places that thou meet with in the way. Wherefore, take good heed to what I've showed thee and bear well in thy mind what thou hast seen, lest in thy journey thou meet with some that pretend to lead thee right, but their ways go down to death. Close quote. Gifford and then Bunyan himself were clearly pastor after God's own heart. Now, it's for that reason that Ian e. Bounds said life-giving preaching costs the preacher much. Death to self, crucifixion to the world, the travail of his own soul, crucified preaching only can give life. Crucified preaching. Can only come from a crucified man. Here's the last thought and we're done. Pastors according to God's heart must have unction. They cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. I have a collection of beautiful quotes here. That we don't have time for. Uh -uh. I will simply say that Charles Spurgeon said. Quote one bright venison, Which. ...private prayer brings down upon the ministry is an indescribable and inimitable thing, an unction from the Holy One. If the anointing which we bear come not from the Lord of hosts, we are deceivers, since only in prayer can we obtain it. Let us continue instant, constant, fervent in supplication. Let your fleece lie on the thrashing floor of supplication till it is wet... With the dew of heaven. Close quote. There's no being a pastor. A biblical pastor. Without the spirit of God. Pray. Every week. That we would know the spirit's work. As Paul himself said. Brethren pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I will give account in a way that you will not. A pastor, according to God's heart, loves Christ, loves Christ's people, and loves to feed Christ's sheep with the holy word of God. May God grant it in this place to his glory and the good of his people. Amen. Father, what can we do without Thee? Lord Jesus, thou didst say it as clearly as it can be said in any language. Without me, ye can do nothing. I can do nothing without thee, O Lord. Neither can thy people. But the promise is that we have an intercessor and that he lives within us by the mighty power of his Spirit. Come, Lord, do thy great work among us. There are lost ones here. There are negligent ones here. And Lord, there are sanctified and saved people here encourage them all according to their needs and help us now Lord to take at least something from this message and obey thee in it in the name of Christ amen Amen. please stand with me The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable, unblameable in holiness before God. Even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord.